Good morning. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 19 this morning as we continue on in our mini-series here on time, treasures, and talents. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. And I just want to say thank you so much to our production team, our worship team. Thank you so much. You know, we notice when things don't go perfectly smoothly because most weeks we see it go very, very smoothly. And we're so grateful for you all. Uh, thank you so much for those of you that figured some things out for us this morning. It didn't look like we were going to have any projection, but we do today. We thank you for that. Uh, let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. Follow along as I read aloud. It says this, <clears throat> As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is the word of the Lord this morning. So last week we started a new series as we launch into a new year, 2023. I can't believe two weeks have already gone by. We've only got 50 left. Can you believe it? It goes by fast, friends. And last week we looked at pie. Not 3.14 or whatever, yada, yada, yada. No, no, no. We're talking about pie. Beautiful, wonderful, delicious pie. Well, this morning I'm not going to tempt you with pie. That's, that's really a mean thing to do. But I am going to tempt you with pizza. Oh, Pizza, yes, we love pizza. Now, I, I asked permission for this. He couldn't be here this morning. He's not feeling well. But my son, Judah, he loves pizza more than I've seen anybody love a food ever before. He, he loves pizza. Judah's favorite pizza is the next pizza. doesn't matter if it's from Little Caesars or Domino's or, you know, whether it's from Andy's. By the way, Mark Westenberg took me to Andy's. It was, like, phenomenal. It's amazing out of Tyson's Corner. But it's beautiful. It's, it's pizza. It's wonderful. I got some pizza up there for you. And in the upper left, I, I see some New York-style pizza. In the bottom left is a margarita pizza for those of you that are a little on the healthier side, right? Up in the upper right, you may not recognize it, but that's pizza from where my hometown is, where my family was, uh, the roots are in Steubenville, Ohio. That's Ohio Valley pizza there. And then on the bottom right is Chicago-style deep dish. Now, I don't know what kind of pizza you like. I don't know what kind of toppings you like, but we're going to talk about pizza a little bit this morning, but not just pizza. Uh, we're, we're talking about thinking about how you can slice things up and give portions of it, right? We don't, we don't just take the whole pizza. We, we slice it up, and uh, we enjoy it one piece of it at a time. And last week, we saw, just like pie, we think to ourselves, how much of this pie that represents my life? You think of a pizza, a whole pizza there standing in front of you representing your life, and you think, which slice should I give to God? Maybe I'll give him that slice with the, with the most toppings on it, with that little bit of extra cheese and that, that pepperoni and sausage or whatever, that piece of basil there that's on the margarita pizza, right? You give him that best piece, or maybe you give him the first piece, right? Hot, fresh, out of the oven, and it's warm, and it's melty, and it... I'm getting really hungry now. But, but you give him that best slice of pizza. Or maybe you save the last piece for him, right? That's the, that's the most precious piece. Everybody's had a few, and it's like, I could go for one more, and everybody grabs for it at the same time. Oh, no, Lord Jesus, I'll give you that one. But just like we saw last week with pie, it's not good enough to give just a piece of our lives to God. No, no, no. 
No, God wants it all. In fact, God deserves it all. God doesn't just want a slice of your life. He wants the whole thing. He deserves the whole thing. And he says, I want it all because it already belongs to me. And when you give it all to me, I can give you back more joy and peace and hope and goodness and a future than you could ever imagine if you hoarded it to yourself. Our theme verse, as we're, we're looking through uh, the next couple of weeks, last week, this week, and next week, comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Took this from the New Living Translation. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He's done for you. Let them, your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Friends, all He wants is all of you, and it only makes sense considering that Jesus gave up his very life for us. So last week we looked at time. We evaluated how not only can our time slip away from us, but God actually repurposes our time for his good and glorious purposes. This week we're going to take a look at our treasures. Our treasures, really, what am I talking about here today? Our money, our assets, the resources that God has put into our hands. Now, if you remember in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, at the, the very first words that I, I read there was this, as for the rich in this present age, the rich in this present age, those with monetary wealth in this life. And it's interesting that the Apostle Paul, he clarifies that monetary riches are for this life only. We'll find out why in just a few minutes, but, but we have to ask, does this verse apply to me? Does this passage apply to me? Does it apply to you? Does it apply to my family and my household? Am I rich? Who actually is rich anyway? Who really is rich anyway? You know, I, I was doing some research this week. I found an article on a website called sportofmoney.com, and it, it says this. I'll just share some information from that article with you. It says, from studies done by Credit Suisse Global Wealth Data book, uh, with data that goes from 2021, we'll find out about 2022's data later on this year, but the median household income in the United States was around $71,000. That means that 50% of Americans, uh, the American population makes more than that and 50% makes less than that. $71,000 is the median. Now that may sound, not, not sound like a lot of money for those living near a coastal city like we do here in Northern Virginia and near Washington, D.C., but it is significant nonetheless. And we know that the median income for our region is, is much higher, but what about how you stack up uh, to the rest of the world, your wealth? Now, the median household income uh, of around 71000 places a family in the top 4% of richest people in the world. Do you hear what I said? 71000 the median household income in the United States for a household in 2021, puts an average American in the top 4% of the richest people in the world. Now, as an individual, not including a household, just you by yourself, you are in the top 1% of worldwide earners if you make more than $60,000 a year individually. Top 1% worldwide. The median worldwide income, listen to this, is $2,800 a year, according to another site that tracks this information, giving what we can. But that means that half the households in America make more than 25 times the median worldwide income. That's just income. 
The average American makes 25 times more than the world's average. It's amazing stuff. Now, that's just income. What about our total worth, right? Not just our income, but our assets as well. Well, well, Americans altogether make up 31% of global net worth. That's, that's astounding to me. 31% of global worth is found right here in the United States. It doesn't take much to get into the top 50% of all adults when it comes to global wealth. In fact, 53, I know I'm throwing a lot of figures at you. Try and follow along here. This isn't math class today, I promise. In fact, 53.2% of world's adults own less than $10,000 in wealth. If you have over $10,000 in wealth, assets, many of our vehicles are worth more than that, right? You are in the top half of wealth among the world's adults. According to the 2022 Credit Suisse Global, world, uh, Global Wealth Report, the median wealth of an American is $93,271, and that places it, them in the top 85% of global wealth. Friends, we are way, 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 as av- even average Americans, way, way at the top end of the scale when it comes to income and worth and, and net worth when it comes to thinking about us compared to the rest of the world. Even the average American is considered rich by global wealth standards. Now that's startling. It's also sobering, right? It should cause each of us to be grateful for the many blessings we get to enjoy here in our country, but that also places on our shoulders a great and wonderful responsibility. If we're in tune with the heart of God in this world, we should be asking how He would want us to manage the resources He's placed in our hands. How big of a slice of the pizza does He want? How much does He want? Well, friend, uh, what you may find surprising is that he already owns the whole pizza of your wealth. He owns it all. It's all his. It all came from him to begin with, and he's placed it in your hands so that you could be the steward, that you could be the manager of the resources and the treasures that he's put into our bank accounts, our assets, and our retirement plans. So if we understand globally that many of us, average, even average Americans with wealth, that we're rich, what are we going to do with these riches? How can I, how can you, how can we best invest in this life and in these treasures that he's given to me? And that leads us to our big idea this morning. We all could manage our money better, but God shows us how to invest for eternity. We all could do a better job keeping track, budgeting the money that we have. But when we ask God, He shows us how to invest and save and work, not just for this life, for the life to come. We all can manage our money better, but God shows us a way that's better than a 401k or a 403b or anything that you could think of, an IRA. He shows us how to invest for eternity and for the life to come. Now, I shared some resources with you last week. I'd like to share a few more with you this week if you want to do some reading outside of our our time here together this morning and just some of your own research. Uh, Randy Alcorn, in my opinion, is, is one of the best when it comes to getting a handle on not how to spend your money, but how to think about the money that God's put into your hands theologically, biblically, spiritually. Does God really care and how does he want me to manage this money that he's put into my hands? He's got a website that he, he writes on with, uh, with other writers, a part of his ministry called Eternal Perspective Ministries, epm.org. 
He's got several books. I have them laying on my desk right now. I'd be happy to share, lend, you, lend these out to you. Or if you are wondering and you're like, hey, Pastor Matthew, I missed all that information, email me. I'll send you this information. But the first one for kind of a beginner stage is called The Treasure Principle, Unlocking the Secret of Joyful Giving. Another book, a little bit more in-depth, is called Managing God's Money, a biblical guide. And then if you want to take a big biblical and theological dive into this, this subject, he's got another book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. All three of these are absolutely valuable. There is some overlap, but each book has wonderful things to, to, to help you out. So uh, if you want to dive into this further, you can check those out. Another site that I want to uh, commend to you is generousgiving.org, generousgiving.org, having conversations with people. They have videos and, and things like that that talk about what does it mean to live generously in light of the resources that God has put into our hands? So, with all that in mind, let's take a, a dive in here to 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning. Our big idea, again, is that God shows us how to invest for eternity. And the first thing that we see from this passage is this. One certain thing about riches is that they are uncertain. One certain thing about riches is that they are uncertain. We see that in the very first part of chapter uh, 6, verse 17. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, I want you to charge those in your midst who are rich in this age. Now, there were many that were so wealthy that they didn't have to work for a living every day. They had assets, servants, property that was making money for them. And so uh, he's charging them. He's saying, I don't want you to give them advice. Timothy, don't give them financial advice. Don't give them some good guidelines. You're to charge them command them. And so today we have to hear this. This isn't financial advice that we're getting from the scriptures. These are commands that are giving to those who are rich in this present age. And when we look at it globally, I think all of us can understand, at least globally, that applies to me, right? So let's listen to these, not as the advice of God, but as, it, what, it, as what it is, the commands of God to all of us, myself included. Charge them not to be haughty, not to be proud, not to be arrogant about their riches. It's so sad to think that even in our midst, even in the household of faith, some of us can think to ourselves that our worth, our value, uh, what we think about our identity is wrapped up in the dollar signs and number of zeros that go behind our bank accounts and our assets and our retirements. And it may even cause us to look down on others for their lack of resources. Friends, this was happening in the church in the first century. It was a temptation to them. And it could be temptation to us today when we look down on those assuming that others are just lazy, assuming that others are just bad money managers, assuming that their households just blew it big time. And we become arrogant thinking that somehow we've created wealth for ourselves and say, look at what I've done. Look at what I have achieved. And Paul is telling Timothy, command those who are rich in this age to forsake that kind of thinking. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. Don't be haughty, as it says in our translation this morning. Not only that, it says, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Not only is it sinful 
to be proud about your wealth and about your riches, but it's also really foolish because your riches are so uncertain. You can't guarantee that it's going to be there tomorrow. You can't guarantee that the stock market is just going to allow your investments to keep growing and growing and growing and growing. In fact, sometimes we see that people just get things taken away in just a moment's time. My wife and I were just talking about it yesterday with some friends. We were there, uh, we remember the 1989 San Francisco earthquake, people losing things in a moment, people losing possessions, households, even their very lives. We've been seeing it in the South just even this last week, a tornado coming through a, a town in Alabama, wiping out homes, taking lives, this, this riches, these possessions that we have in our homes and in our lives and in our hands, they're so uncertain. They can be taken away in just a moment. And so those that are rich in this present age, Paul tells Timothy, command them not to be proud about their wealth, not to be arrogant about their wealth, and not to put their hopes in wealth. Now, Paul is just drawing from other sources of Scripture, right? We see in Psalm 62, verses 9 through 10, it says this, those of low estate are but a a breath. It's here and it's gone, just like a vapor, like a, a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion, In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. What's lighter than a breath? How do you weigh a breath? And that's what he says about those that are of high estate, those that have a lot, right? Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, even by honest gain, I think here, set not your heart on them. Why? You're setting your hopes on a breath. You're setting your hopes on a vapor. You're setting your hopes on something that can't even be weighed when put together. It's so uncertain. James also writes this in James 1, 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Why? Because his exaltation comes from God. And the rich in his humiliation. Why? Because I I came impoverished to the kingdom of God just like anybody else. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Walk outside later. Walk outside and just look at the trees that you see outside. I mean, just a few months ago, back in October, they were filled with beautiful colors, weren't they? Think about a few months before that, they were green and lush. You drive down the road and you couldn't even see past the first layer of those bushes and trees. But yet, just a few months, here we are later, and it's just like a bunch of toothpicks sticking in the ground. It's like those that trust in riches. It can be flourishing in here today, but it can be wiped out and gone tomorrow. It's like, the, it's like the steam from the breath that you may breathe out on a cold day like today. You see it for maybe a half a second and then it evaporates and it's gone. The only certain thing about riches is that they're so uncertain. Friend, today, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in a vapor? Are you trusting in a breath? Are you trusting in something that you think you've accumulated for yourself, looking down upon others? Well, friends, this is not the way of Jesus. He's taught us so much more, so much better. Oh, that we would repent of our pride, that we'd repent of our arrogance, that we'd repent of our false hopes and the riches, the earthly riches that God has put into our hands. We don't hope in that, but we hope in someone else. That brings us to point number two. God is the only perfect 
wealth manager. God is the only perfect wealth manager. Take a look at our verses again this morning. Uh, chapter 6, verse 17 in the second half. Don't be, uh, not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on whom? Upon yourself? No, on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, with everything to enjoy. See, we focus not on the gifts, but we focus on the giver. Our hopes are not in our bank accounts, our investments, our retirement plans. Our hopes rest in God, the God creator, powerful creator of the universe. That's where our hopes go. And friend, I want to tell you something. I don't care how big your bank account is. I don't know how beautiful your retirement is looking. I don't care how close you are. You cannot have more wealth than God. He is richer than you. He has more wealth than you. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans eleven thirty-three. Oh, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He knows it all. He knows the markets when they're going to crash and he knows when they're going to increase. He's the one that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. You can't count it all. He's got more riches than you could ever imagine. He is the one who is truly wealthy. He is the one who possesses everything, trusting in Him, the true wealth manager that we can trust in. Acts 14, verses 16 to 17 says this, In past generations, He, God the Father, allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. But listen to this, Yet He did not leave Himself without a witness, for He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good uh, food and gladness. Our God is rich and he loves to share. He has all this depths of riches, but he doesn't hoard it to himself. He loves to share it with humanity. He shared it with you. You're here today. Every single one of us are clothed. Every single one of us have had a meal, or probably a warm meal in the last 24 hours. We all have roofs over our heads. Many of us traveled here in automobiles that God has provided to us. He loves to share with you. And so we have to look beyond the gifts and look to the giver. This giver is described in Psalm 104, verses 14 to 15. It says, You, Lord, cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's hearts. Friends, he gives us these things to enjoy. He doesn't say, I want you to feel guilty about that slice of pizza you're about to enjoy. No! He says, take that slice, put it in your mouth, savor it, and remember that I've given it to you. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Friends, it's not that we should hate the gifts that God's given to us, but that we receive them with grateful hearts, with gratitude, and we give praise to the giver who's given them to us. God is the only perfect wealth manager. He's given us so many good gifts, but not only does he give things to provide to us, he also does it to set an example for us. Again, in chapter 6, verse 18 of our text this morning, he richly presides us with everything to enjoy, verse 18. Therefore, those who are rich in this age that are recipients of these good gifts, they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Paul, is, he's, he's writing here and he's doing a play on, on this word rich. The rich who are in this age, don't trust in your riches. Trust in the God who richly provides us all things to enjoy. And then I want you to be richly generous. 
Be like your God. He loves to give out things for others to enjoy. He loves to bless those who are in need. You see, we've been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. Amen? We imitate our generous God. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's what it means to be blessed. Not that you hoard this blessing to yourself, but you give it out to others. Psalm 37, verses 25 to 26 says this, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Praise God for that. He is ever lending generously, this blessed man, this blessed woman, he is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Friends, you may have great wealth, you may be planning for the future, do it. That's wonderful, that's beautiful, but don't think that this blessing is for me. You think to yourself, how can I use these assets to be a blessing to my children and children's children so that they can be a blessing to others? Blessed to be a blessing. We imitate our generous God when we see our possessions as being a blessing for those in our communities and around us. In Ephesians, it says this, it says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Repent from the the stealing, repent of the robbery. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Before the gospel of Jesus Christ came into my life, I was a taker, I was a taker, I was a taker. And in many ways, I still am. But God is teaching us every day not to just be takers, but to be givers, to be generous, to share with those in need. Why? Because that is the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he took from humanity. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He is a generous God who has given us his very best for us and those who know this God. Love, it, love to imitate their God in giving generously. Now we saw that those who are rich are to be busy doing good works. Titus 3.8 says this, This saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And Paul is tying it right here in 1 Timothy 6. Good works tied to the wealth that God has put into your hands. You were created for this. You were created for human flourishing. And not just the human that's sitting in your seat right now, but the humans in this room, the humans under your roof, the humans in your neighborhood, the humans in your workplaces, the humans that we find on the streets who are in need, and even the humans who are not yet born. We could support through things like baby bottles to say, we are for human flourishing. We want to do good works because that's what our God has done for us. Amen. God shows us how to invest for eternity. The one certain thing about riches is that they're uncertain. God is the only perfect wealth manager. And thirdly, saving for retirement is way too short-sighted. No, no, no. let's invest for eternity. Saving for retirement is too short-sighted. Invest for eternity. Again, verse 19 of 1 Timothy 6 says, when they do this, when the rich are, are, are rich in good works and they're generous and ready to share, they store up for uh, themselves a treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You want to trust in riches in this age? It could be wiped out in a moment. But if you want to trust in your God and invest into eternity, you're setting a foundation that can never, 
ever, ever be shaken. A, a, a treasure that can never be taken away. Jesus said this to the crowds that were following him in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. It says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven! In heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you set your treasure, either in the uncertainty of riches today or in the good foundation about, for tomorrow, when you start to invest the money that God's put into your hands, your heart follows. You start loving it. It starts to become almost like an addiction. I love being generous and knowing that that help that I'm providing, these resources that God put into my hands, I'm paying it forward into eternity, and I love it so much because it brings glory to God. And your heart starts to follow where your dollars go. Jesus said, and I believe Luke could be recording the exact same words in Luke 12, 32 to 34, but his take on it is this, fear not, little flock, as Jesus is speaking, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to give it all to you, friends. So what do you do with that? In the eternal, unshakable kingdom, Jesus says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It only makes sense if the riches that we hold on to this, in this life are like a breath, if they're like a vapor, why would I try and pull that back when I could say I could take these resources and use it for eternal purposes and know that it's giving God glory and I get to enjoy the benefits of that along with my fellow man forever and ever and ever and ever. We can all manage our bunny better but God shows us how to invest for eternity. Friends, that's what our Lord has called us to, something better. Now, I, I know for you living in the, the Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia area, it's expensive to live here. I, I moved from the San Francisco Bay Area back in May, and it's expensive to live there too. And the temptation can be sometimes is that I just don't have enough. I don't have enough I got to keep a roof over my head. I got to keep fuel in the fuel tank. I, I got to buy eggs, right? I mean, come on. Eggs are like ridiculously expensive. I was at Costco yesterday and you're only limiting two per member because everybody's hoarding eggs now like they were doing toilet paper because the prices are going so up, so far up. How do we pay for these things and then have something left, a piece of the pizza for God? But we understand that God owns all of it anyway. He wants, he knows we have to provide for our needs he knows that we have to provide for our household, but he's also saying, I want you, though, not to just provide for your needs, but to invest for all of eternity. What a privilege we have. We're in the top 5%, the average American, we're in the top 5% globally of income. We're in the top 15% in the world of wealth. Oh, what a privilege it is how much we get to invest in eternity. Will we do it? Will we do it? We all could manage our money better, but God shows us how to invest for eternity. But what does this mean for Monday? It's a question we like to ask every week. We want to know not just what did the Bible say and what does it mean now, like to help me understand my thinking differently, but we want to have our behavior and our attitudes change Monday to Saturday. 
We want to love Christ and live sent. Church isn't over here in a few minutes. No, we're going to go live sent. What does it mean then to treasure God and to invest for eternity above all else on Monday through Saturday? Well, I want to just commend to you a sermon by John Wesley, one of the great preachers of the, uh, of the Reformation of the last 400 years. Uh, he has a sermon called Use of Money. And he has three just very basic points, three basic things that I want to share with you. And uh, we'll go through this quickly. But first of all, he says this in his sermon on the use of money. He says, first of all, gain all you can. Gain all you can, but, but do it honestly. Do it diligently. Work hard with your hands. There's no shortcuts. There's no easy routes. It's going to take hard work. But if opportunities are put in front of you, and it's not sacrificing your family or your commitment to Jesus, and God puts an opportunity in front of you, go for it. Gain as much as you can. Work honestly. Work diligently. Work wisely. Work hard and make as much as you can. I love it when I come across wealthy Christians who are passionate for Jesus because then I know that money is not going into the hands of the children of Satan, right? God's putting it into our hands for a purpose. Gain all you can. What an advantage it is to know that God's people here in this room, the wealth that we know that we have, gets to be used for kingdom purposes. That makes us excited, amen? It's wonderful. Gain all you can. But then, secondly, he says, save all you can. Save all you can. And what he means by that is not saving for yourself and like savings accounts and IRAs and retirements, though that's good to provide for your needs for the future. But what he means is that be careful how you spend. Be careful how you spend. I've got several questions that he poses here to ask yourself as stewards and managers of the money that God's given to you before you spend. Before you spend, ask this first. Am I acting as the owner or the steward and manager of the money I'm about to spend? Am I acting like I own it or am I acting like God has put it into my hands as the manager and steward of his money? Am I living like this money is his or am I living like it's mine? How does that influence my choice right now? Ask this question, what does God want, not just what do I want? He knows that you have basic needs, and God's not stingy. Remember, we saw in our passage today that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It's not that he says you can't ever enjoy the money that God's given to you, but as you spend, think to yourself, am I acting like an owner or as a manager and a steward of what he's given to me? Secondly, ask this before you spend it. Am I obeying God's word in spending it this way? Am I obeying God's word in spending this way? Ask these questions. What does Scripture say? Does the Bible provide any guidance for me before I spend this? What are God's priorities for myself? What are His priorities uh, for my family? What are His priorities for my church, for my community, and beyond? Does what I'm about to do line up with the Bible's priorities or are they lining up with my priorities or the priorities of merely the American dream oh friends it's time to live according to the the biblical Jesus dream amen using our money for the future well we got to save all we can and another question to ask before you spend is can I offer up this purchase as a pleasing sacrifice to God think of it this way who who gets the glory in this who or what am I worshiping 
You know, you may think to yourself, well, does God really care about just the basic stuff of my life? Absolutely. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, and I would include managing God's money, do it all to the glory of God as a sacrifice to Him. What's His view on what you're buying? Does your enjoyment glorify Him? Does your spending advertise His kingdom or your kingdom? Will he see how you spend your money as a pleasing, sacrificial aroma or a stinking offering to your own sinful pleasures? Your treasure is a means of worshiping him. So worship him with the resources that he's given to you. And then also before you spend, this is again just recommendations from John Wesley as we think about this, is does this purchase, purchase lead me toward eternal treasures or only temporal pleasures? Does this purchase lead toward eternal treasures or only temporal pleasures? We saw how foolish it is to live for the here and now. In eternity, the riches of this age have absolutely no advantage of those, over those who are poor. Death and judgment are the great equalizers, but we get to invest and live for eternity. We can lay a good foundation for the future. So friends, save all you can. Gain all you can, but save all you can. Be careful how you spend. Do it for God's glory. And then thirdly, and I love this, give all you can. Give all you can. Friends, be like God. Now, we don't have infinite riches like he does, but he's given us riches in our hands. Be like your God, Christian. Be generous. Be lavishly generous. He's not withheld any good thing from you. He's placed you in a position to exemplify His lavish grace upon you, to your family, to your community, to your spiritual family. The gospel is on display when Christians give like God gives. Give to the work of ministry at your home church, right here at Fairfax Bible Church. I love partnering together as we give to the work of the ministry to make Jesus famous in our community. Amen? I hope you can get behind that. Give to ministries like Sanctity of Life. Give to ministries that are caring for those that are in need. Give to the work of local and global missions. Give, friends. Help your brothers and sisters when they're in need. I just was mentioning with someone this morning, I heard about it, there was a need and somebody in their small group, they just, they're just rising up to meet it. I love hearing that. Give to those in our community who are in need. Give generously to your neighbor who may be in need. Friends, invest in eternity. It's the wisest way to manage God's money that he's put into your hands. Well, I mentioned Randy Alcorn earlier. His great little book is this, The Treasure Principle. And here's the treasure principle in a nutshell. I still think you should read it, but here's the nutshell of it. You, you can't take it with you, meaning your money and your resources. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you. No uh, public storage units at the cemetery, but you can't send it on ahead. He writes this, When Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's not because wealth might be lost. It's because wealth will always be lost. Either it leaves us while we live or we leave it when we die. There are no exceptions. Now imagine, I love this analogy, imagine you're alive at the end of the Civil War, you're living in the South, but you're a northerner. You plan to move home as soon as the war is over. While in the South, you've accumulated lots of Confederate currency. Now, suppose you know for a fact that the North is going to win the war and the end is imminent. 
what will you do with your Confederate money? Now, if you're smart, there's only one answer. You should immediately cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency, the only money that will have any value once the war is over. Keep only enough Confederate currency to meet your short-term needs. Now, as a Christian friend, you have inside knowledge of an eventual worldwide upheaval caused by Christ's return. This is the ultimate insider trading tip. Earth's currency will become worthless when Christ returns or when you die, whichever comes first. And either event could happen at any time, right? There's nothing wrong with Earth's riches as long as you understand its limits. Realizing its value as temporary should radically affect your investment strategy. To accumulate vast earthly treasures that you can't possibly hold on for long is equivalent to stockpiling Confederate money even though you know it's about to become worthless. According to Jesus, storing up earthly treasures isn't simply wrong. It's just plain stupid. He wants us to store up treasures. He's just telling us to stop storing them up in the wrong place and start storing them up in the right place. You can't take it with you you can't send it on ahead. Friends, where will you store your treasure, here or into eternity? And in closing, maybe you're recognizing this morning that you have earthly possessions, that you are spiritually broke. Worship team, you can come on up. Maybe you recognize that you're spiritually broke. You've been living for yourself and your own desires. Maybe you've given only a slice of the pizza of your life And of your treasures to God, but you're seeing for the first time that He owns it all and He wants all of you. The beauty of the gospel, the good news of of the scripture is that the riches of eternity are not something to be earned or merited. In fact, we can never earn the hope of eternity with God in the kingdom of heaven. No, it's a free gift. I love 2 Corinthians 8, 9. This is for you this morning if you feel spiritually impoverished. For you know the grace, the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. There was one who was eternally rich, the King of heaven and all creation, and he stepped into your poverty and my poverty and himself became poor for you and for me. He did it all so that we could stop trusting in the futility of riches in this life. He came. He died. He rose from the grave. He returned to heaven, and he's coming again one day so that we can inherit an eternal treasure that can never be shaken. Will you receive his gift today? The one who became poor so that you might become rich. All you have to do is confess your poverty today. Confess your need for him today and call upon the one who became poor for you so that you could become eternally rich and use those resources that he's put into your hands for all of eternity. That's what he invites us to do today. That's what the Bible is inviting all of us to do today, to come to him, the one who became poor, so that we could become rich. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your good gifts that you give to us. You indeed give us all things richly for our enjoyment, but it's not merely for our enjoyment. 
It's also that we can invest in another world. So that we can invest in things that cannot be shaken. Lord, I, I think we recognize this morning, and it's sobering and startling to think that we are amongst some of the richest people on the entire planet. I don't, I don't feel like that often, but yet I read about the situations and circumstances of so many around this globe, and maybe even in this very county and in this very city, Lord, you called us, allowed us to be a blessed people. Lord, I pray that Fairfax Bible Church, we would be known as a group of people, a community of Jesus the Messiah, filled with the Holy Spirit, who are not living for this life, but are, the, are living for the life to come. That we would be investing and paying it forward into the future. That you would allow us to take new steps this year and in the days and weeks and months and years to come to invest here in our city, to invest in our community, to invest in, in partners all over the world that are helping see people's lives transformed by the power of the gospel. Lord, I, I can't wait to see how the money that we give into your hands is laying a foundation for a future. People that I, I may not even know now, but when I give that dollar, when I give that check toward it, I, there's going to be somebody on the other side and says, because you gave, I've been accepted into the kingdom of God. I heard about the good news of Jesus Christ. What a gift that is, Lord. I pray that we would be busy building that foundation for a future. And Lord, for someone here today, someone here today that's been living spiritually impoverished, even if they have huge resources here on this earth, Lord, I pray that they would see that Jesus is the one who's given us his grace. He offers them a free gift today that they can not trust in the earthly riches that are like a vapor today, but they can hold on to something that is sure, that is a foundation for the future. Oh Lord, I pray that you would lead them to repent, to call upon the one who became poor so that they could become rich. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.